0: Money FM 89.3, best of your money. Influence with Michelle Martin on your money only on Money FM 89.3. All right, time to test your knowledge of acronyms and get you really hungry at the same time. GFDF, what does that stand for? You know, acronyms fast becoming part and parcel of menus these days. GFDF for gluten and dairy free. Have you tried gluten-dairy-free pandan cake? Well, it's just one of the delicious offerings of Oh My Goodness. They're an e-bakery. They operate on a delivery-only basis. So who's for vegan lemon raspberry cake covered in a light pink raspberry coconut dusting? I don't know about you, but I'm hungry already. Time to meet Ramia Ragupati. She is founder and director of Oh My Goodness, which is gluten-free, halal, and specializes in making gluten-dairy, and refined sugar-free food, more accessible here in Asia-Pacific. To celebrate International Women's Day, we're meeting women f- entrepreneurs all this month. So it's time to welcome Ram- Ramya to the show. How are you, Ramia? I'm so good. It's a new week. It is. Uh, first up, how did Oh My Goodness start? I love the name, by the way. Thank you. (laughs) You know, um, I'm always in two minds about how truthful
1: I should be about this. But uh, here we go. Go with absolute Um, truth. (laughs) It was a complete accident. Essentially, in 2013, I found out that I was experiencing some health issues because of my diet. Mainly, I was not supposed to be eating wheat and dairy, at least at the rate of volume that I was consuming these two uh, foods. And I was advised by my doctor to go off these, including Mm. a few other food items as well. And, you know, I've been baking since I was 16 years old. So that was the best news for me. Um, And it was right around the time I was actually leaving uh, Singapore to go to school. So while I was away and while everyone else was studying hard, I was back home in my house in a little village in (laughs) Pans,
0: experimenting
1: with different recipes and, you know, trying to recreate my repertoire. And, uh, the first thing that I worked on and came up with is what is now known as a signature dark chocolate cake. Mm. Um, you know, my classmates tried it. They had it at every single dinner party I threw. And, uh, and when I came back to Singapore for a visit a year, year and a half later, um, A whole bunch of people who had the same cake at, at, you know, social events that I went to could not believe that it was gluten-free and dairy-free and refined sugar-free. I mean, I had created this for my own dietary needs, but I was really surprised to see how everyone else is appreciating this. Um, And a few weeks, months later, you know, I I was starting to hear whispers about how I should start a business around this. And, you know, you don't get such good quality gluten-free products in Singapore or in this part of the world. I was kind of working in London at the time, and I had a job that I that I enjoyed, and I was working very hard to keep it and stay on. But the last thing I thought of was starting a business in Singapore, and I sort of laughed it off and said, "Oh, please, I'll never be an entrepreneur." So, lesson number one from that experience is never say never. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, fast forward a few months, uh, you know, I kind of had to make some challenging decisions about whether I was going to come home or stay on, and I decided to come home. Um, and start, oh my goodness, which I'd actually started as a small sort of passion project, you know, when I was in Singapore, just to test waters a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I actually sold out and made enough money to buy our first professional oven. So when I chose to come home, I came home because I wanted to see what I could do with this little passion project. And within the first year, I knew that I was onto something. You know, I started applying my business school hat, I guess, and looking at market data, You know, where was this market going? What was the demand like? Because, you know, for the longest time, gluten-free food wasn't seen as something that would have demand in this part of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was changing dramatically in 2014, 15, 16. And that's exactly around the time that I started, oh my goodness, and um, tried different things, different concepts, got to know the market a little bit, tried to understand a customer profile a little bit. And uh, fully incorporated a year later in 2017. And the rest, as they
0: say, it's history. (laughs) Fantastic. So it all started with that tremendous chocolate cake that you made for yourself. Exactly. Because you wanted to continue eating cake. And the thing is, isn't sugar the very architecture of great cake? So if you're making refined sugar-free cake, how does that work?
1: Well, that's why, you know, gluten-free baking is not exactly the easiest thing. Mm. Uh, I mean, if you go online these days, you get a lot of great recipes, but you'll find that they either contain dairy or they will uh, contain a lot of sugar. Um, And historically, the products in the market also contained a lot of sugar and had terrible textures simply because the market was really small. Mm. You know, the demand for gluten-free food was limited to those with celiac disease. But the need for gluten-free food and dairy-free food or what, you know, is increasingly become known as free from food um, is becoming extremely mainstream. Mm. So even though you'll find recipes online, you know, you would have to substitute them and um, substitute various ingredients, change up the recipes. Um, and it takes about six to nine months sometimes for our R&D process, you know, yeah. uh, to actually create something that tastes good and also feels good, you know, has good mouthfeel so um so and you're actually right you know sugar does provide structure and that is why the experimentation is so important and you need to understand the different gluten-free ingredients you know we work with all sorts of things and even last year we worked with tesla and we've worked with sorghum and it's about really understanding the behavior of all these new ingredients that you are not going to learn about at culinary school um and, and really understanding how they interact with each other. And we have a strict rule of not using yeast and not using any gums. You might be familiar with guar gum and xanthan gum, which mm-hmm. is an additive to replace gluten and provide that stretch. But the jury's really out on how xanthan gum and guar gum really acts on your on your on your belly and your on your gut. Right. And chances are you're reacting poorly to you know gluten, dairy, and other sort of inflammatory foods. You know, you don't want to take the risk with the gum. So we strictly do not use uh, gums and yeast, which, let's
0: just say, makes the R&D process that much more fun. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a lot of food science involved as well and and tasting involved as well. You know, there is a whole long line of friends who are suddenly (laughs) around me
1: a lot whenever I tell them we're working on something new. And I'm like, you know, I'm starting to doubt your love and friendship,
0: honestly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness, I'd love to be your friend, honestly. Just be fed.
1: Please, here you go, another one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean that show. authentically. <laughs> Listen, is this really your first experience with entrepreneurship? Is this your first business?
1: It is. Um, It, it is in terms of an incorporated company. I have um, an independent consulting uh, firm that I set up right after graduation from business school because I knew I was going to be broke for a while. <laughs> figured out what I was going to do with my life, hmm. um, and uh, my background and training is in marketing communications, and uh, I set up a consultancy to basically support and help startups and um, um, NGOs and not-for-profits um, sort of go to market uh, with a bit more confidence and with a great uh, you know, uh, marketing communication strategy, so uh, that's still what pays some of my bills um, from time to time. Um, But, you know, that's different. That's a one-woman show. That's just me um, leveraging on what I know and do best. Um, But, oh, my goodness, you're actually right. It's the first uh, venture. It's the first company. And it's probably the longest I've had a job. Uh, I'm in my fifth year now, if you count the year where I was talking about, and it was a passion project. Mm. Um, And I think that's what keeps it so interesting. I learn every single day. Every single day there's something new. And, I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, for every up, there's also a down, and that's the entrepreneurial journey, right? You're going to have your highs, but you're also going to have your pretty devastating lows. But I'm constantly learning, um, and I'm learning from everybody. I'm learning from my employees. I'm learning from my investors. I'm learning from customers. There is no end to this, and I think that's what keeps me on my toes, keeps me interested, excited, excited. Um, I don't think it's for everyone and I'll be honest for the first couple of years I wasn't sure if it was for me but I will say now that I I do this I cannot imagine going back to a full-time corporate job and I'm a little addicted to this like I've got about 10 ideas in my head I'd love to execute on but I have people to feed so those (laughs) ideas will stay parked for a while.
0: Okay so so much to unpack there I really love the fact that you say you came out of business school and you didn't really know what you were going to do at first. You know, it gives hope to entrepreneurs that they don't always have to have that perfect business plan the moment they end business school and they can figure things out along the way. Also interesting to hear that in the first few years, you weren't sure if this route was for you. Can you unpack that for us?
1: Um, okay, why don't I touch on the first bit? I, I, I want to sort of make it clear that I didn't go to business school to start a business. Mm. You know? um, and nobody really goes to business school, or at least I didn't go to business school with a clear sort of post graduation plan. I kind of went because I needed some time to think and figure things out, you know, and I felt that in my job, my my world was sort of becoming smaller and smaller. And if I didn't get out and change things, I knew exactly what I was going to be doing at age 55. And I was only 32. So that's not what I wanted. Um, I had, like I said, you know, I had no plans of becoming an entrepreneur, starting a business or anything like that. I just wanted to widen and open up my options. and, um, And it's also why I chose the school that I did. I wanted to meet people, be inspired, see what other people were doing, and really sort of figure out what else I could do after doing what I did for 10 years before that. Um, and the whole business was really an accident. It happened two and a half years after I went to school. Um, but I will say that, you know, I had an, I have an amazing, I had and have an amazing support network. People who believed in me blindly had put so much faith in me and really inspired me and gave me the confidence to do this because like I said you know like when I was younger I, I could not imagine running my own business I always thought I, I didn't have the discipline I needed to work for someone be accountable to someone um you know and, and and have bosses to report to um and then when I started my own thing it was a very different experience it's really you know I guess to to use one of my favorite English terms you know own time own target right <laughs> like and it's really about managing your time managing your priorities um it's a very very different experience experience. And um, and I think because it was so new and, and probably daunting and also quite isolating at the beginning, you mm-hmm. know, because it was just me for at least two years, our first employee, uh, well, at least for a year and a half. Yeah. You're doing all employee-
0: the baking for two years? Oh
1: my God, yes. I was doing all of it for at least a year and a half. And, uh, you know, I didn't have my own place yet. I was living in a friend's place because I had just come back. Um, I kind of did this twice. I moved in to my friend's empty apartments and turned their homes into bakeries. Um, I would like to (laughs) to say for the record, they're still my friend. And I think (laughs) because I feed them cakes, um,
0: so that's why the so cake well, had to be so good. You had to keep a roof over your head basically. No.
1: Right? <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, I it was really daunting and isolating at first, but you kind of find your rhythm and you know, uh and 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 figure out how you're going to do things. And well, then well, was, was it, it
0: profitable from get go? I mean, was that part of no, the motivation? No,
1: no. Definitely not, you know, because and that's startup life for you. I mean, mm. I mean, first of all, Uber and Amazon are not profitable, so, but let's not even go there. Mm. Um <laughs> Um, the, thing, the thing about startups is every time you're getting close to breaking even or being profitable, mm-hmm. you're going to grow and you're going to reinvest that money. So in terms of gross margins, for sure, you know, um, when, when you price everything correctly, you have sufficient gross margins to keep the business rolling and to keep it growing. But at some point, you know, I mean, not at some point, even up to now, you know, you're in the red in terms of the bottom line. But that's because we constantly grow. And that's why we have to constantly fundraise, which, you know, is very, very challenging in the universe of deep tech and intra tech and plant-based meat. (laughs) Uh, And insect protein, let's not forget that one. So, um, you know, it's going to be a while before we break even. We're looking to hopefully break even uh, before the end of this year or next year. Of course, no promises made, and I hope my investors are not hearing this. Um, (laughs) But it really depends, you know, like with every big growth or growth, stage, um, you need another investment, you know, and, um, and and that just keeps going on for a while, you know, I, I would say we're sort of moving from startup to SME status right now, but uh, a lot of the startup um, sort of challenges and identities are still very much uh, embedded with us.
0: All right. We're speaking with Ramya Ragupati. I am browsing her e-bakery as we speak. My fingers are hovering over her signature dark chocolate cake, which looks incredibly moist and looks like it's dusted with gold. I don't know if I'm imagining things because I'm so hungry now. Uh You also have breads, I think, delicious zucchini banana bread. Ah, oh, it's sold out. Oh, no. Oh, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> On that note, you know,
1: there's a reason why we're sold out. This week, we have kicked out. uh Kicked out. Kicked out. At Fair Price Finest, I'm very, very happy to share that it's been a big, momentous occasion for us. Uh, As of today, our products are available in all 26 Fair Price Finest stores, Um, and the team's been working really, really hard. So now we're going to work really hard to restock our website. But we've made life so much easier for you. You started this chat by talking about accessibility, and that's exactly what this is about. You can now walk into any Fair Price Finest store. And pick up your goodness Uh, from bread rolls to pizza bases to, of course, the cake we keep talking about, (laughs) the signature dark chocolate cake. So um, do enjoy.
0: Oh, my goodness. Uh, Sort of like a Sarah Lee box. That's how I can get it. Your Uh, signature dark chocolate cake.
1: Exactly. Absolutely fabulous. Same
0: weight, except
1: it's gluten-free, dairy-free and refined sugar-free and grain-free.
0: Is it calorie-free? (laughs) <laughs> you know, <what> I wish. <laughs> well, there's a business idea for you. Keep it well, tasteful. Well, it
1: actually is an idea. Um, mm. at some. We would love to look at a zero-cal version, but that's pro- probably, you know, quite far off in the future. But it is actually on the business flag. Uh, the reformulation is a pain, and don't get me started on that one.
0: <laughs> well, congratulations on being an NTUC. That is such a, a milestone, really. Um, you know, for people who want to walk in your footsteps and, and build their own company based on their own recipes and their passion products, what are the startup costs of, you know, really being a, an e-bakery? Well, I'll be really honest. I started the
1: company when I when I was one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt. So, <laughs> um, needless to say, it's been a very interesting experience for me. Um, the, the startup cost, I think, you know, these days, depending on how you set up your business, you know, a lot of us set up our businesses online. Um, a lot of us, especially in food manufacturing, we all start in our homes, except for me. It was my friend's home. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you've got to start somewhere. And at some point, I guess, you know, it's about deciding how big you want to take it. I did not expect it to become what it is today. Um, I have had the most amazing support of uh, the most wonderful friends um, that have supported me financially and supported the business financially as well. Um, it really depends on how quickly you want to go, how big you want to take it. I've taken the route of growing uh, surely but slowly so as not to make uh, any missteps and not burn cash. Uh, I think that's a big driving philosophy for me. Uh, we do not burn cash or time for that matter. But you know, because we never had a brick and mortar space, um, you know, which is why we call ourselves the eBakery, um, that really helps to cut your costs. Significantly, so then it comes down to the two biggest costs as you grow: the rent of your production space, uh, and ours is in, in Mumbai, uh, and salaries, which is very, very typical of businesses. But we have also chosen not to have a fancy co-working space. Uh, that was also part of the financial management strategy because, um, you know, you don't need that. You know, which is why when COVID hit, it was really business as usual for us uh, because everyone was already. Uh, remote working and I've never believed that people need to be in an office from a certain time to a certain time in the cold, dark office working Mm, hard. Um, We've always practiced, you know, um, work wherever you are from the top of the Himalayas if you want but just be on time for meetings and deliver what you need to deliver. Um, So I think, you know, your cost really depends on how you want to structure the business. Um, It it varies. Uh, Opening a cafe, you are... set back $200,000 before you even, you know, sell your first muffin. So you need to ask yourself, do you have that kind of cash to burn? Um, Is that how you're going to move forward? And when are you going to break even? So it's about the Excel spreadsheets, the Excel spreadsheets, and more Excel spreadsheets.
0: Oh, boy. You know, you remind me of Sarah Blakely, your spirit. And she said, don't be intimidated by what you don't know. What is your advice to female entrepreneurs about either funding their dreams or making their dreams reality? Um, I'm, I'm,
1: I'm, I think, first of all, I'm going to say, don't be intimidated by what you don't know. Easier said than done. <laughs> uh, we all know that terror is basically fear of the unknown. It's real. Mm. Um, I think, you know, I don't think the gender should even be a part of it. You know, I, 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 I don't necessarily want to subscribe to this idea of, you know, female entrepreneurs, female founders. Like, we're founders and we're entrepreneurs. You know, let's not emphasize the gender bit. If we have a good idea, it's as good as anyone else's, you know. If we have a good product, you know, it's a good product. It's got nothing to do with uh, us being uh, female or not. So I would tell other female entrepreneurs to get the gender out of it. Just do what you know is right. Learn, make the mistakes, and more importantly, just surround yourself with a support network because you're going to need it. And I think... You know, without the support network that I had, whether it was my um, physical classmates or alumni network, whether it was my oldest, dearest friends I've known since I was 12. I think it's these guys that really, really make the difference to whether you are going to keep going and if you decide to not keep going, how you're going to survive that. And, and take any sort of, um, like cancel out the noise, really, you know, because there will be a lot of noise. Mm. Um, Having said that, I have also experienced my gender for the first time. You know, I went to um, I went to certain schools, I, 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 I've had bits of my education overseas, I've always worked for large brand name companies, so I don't think I ever really felt my gender, my age, my ethnicity, you know, things that are commonly used to identify a person. But having started this business, I will have to admit that it is a male-dominated uh, industry as well, and I have had uh, conversations where I did feel female and that I was being treated differently. But that's just noise. Um, and at the end of the day, your product will shine through, your work will shine through, and that's really, really all that matters.
0: You you are an INSEAD alumnus, part of their Limitless campaign meant to start conversations around gender balance and stories uh, that you know can hopefully provide inspiration to, to other women. Uh, what, do you, what would you say, how did the MBA journey shape your approach to building Oh My Goodness?,
1: um, funnily enough, you know, they sometimes say it takes one moment to change your life. And sometimes you don't even know that that moment is happening as it happens. And it's a bit like that. I, um, towards the end of my program, you know, I realized I hadn't really done any courses that had taken me out of my comfort zone. And isn't that why I went to business school in the first place? So by the last semester, I, uh, I decided to do an entrepreneurship course. And the way this course was run, uh, it was sort of survivor style. Uh, everyone had to submit ideas you know, at the beginning of the course and then you know, you had to keep presenting and then your ideas were voted out one by one. And everyone had to submit, I think, 30 ideas at the beginning. And I think by the time the deadline came around, I had three. So mm-hmm. I submitted like the three that I had and two of them actually made it to the end. <laughs> um, and by the end of it, uh, the professor came up to me and he said, look, I really like this idea you've got, one of them. Uh, and if you ever want to pursue this, I'd be happy to back you. Wow. And this is a conversation I never imagined I would have. It had nothing to do with food manufacturing, oh my goodness, nothing of the sort. Um, it was just a, a random idea. Mm. And at this point, you must remember that, oh my goodness, wasn't even a concept yet. You know, It was still a year in the making. So somehow when I started, oh my goodness, I, my mind went back to this moment and it gave me a big boost of confidence like, if a professor, a very experienced, talented, smart professor could see potential in me to do something entrepreneurial, why would I doubt myself? Uh, and it really gave me this unexpected boost of confidence to at least try it out and figure it out, um, if this is something I can do. And then, you know, like I said, the alumni network has just been ridiculously supportive. They, uh, in they've uh, My first year, I went to every single alumni lunch, every single alumni drinks, and I was just meeting people and talking to them. And INSEAD is a very special community. Uh, it's really one big, ginormous international community. And the moment you tell someone you're from INSEAD and that person's from INSEAD, immediately there's a bond, immediately there's a camaraderie, and immediately there's an openness to wanting to help and support. It's quite magical. And I definitely experienced a lot of that in my first two years especially, and I think that's really what kept me going and made me believe that I was onto something, and people were always available and open to provide advice and introduce me to people. Of course, you know, I had to take those conversations forward, but the doors opening, you know, um, people I never thought I would easily be able to meet or connect with has been really a tremendous gift. And I think that's really how it has shaped the Oh My Goodness journey and my journey as, as an entrepreneur. Of course, it can go anywhere from here. You know, I, mm. I'm very aware that all of this could overturn or turn on its head overnight. But, uh, you know, it's been wonderful up to now, uh, and I think because of the community, quite significantly.
0: Well, I wish you all the best on your delicious journey. It's been great meeting you. Lovely chatting with you as well. Ramya Ragupati is founder and director of Oh My Goodness. They specialize in gluten-free, dairy-free, and refined sugar-free food here in Asia-Pacific. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg